Arms for a leper. Arms for a leper. Arms for an ex-leper. Arms for a podcaster. If you like this show, please go to sovcast.tumblr.com. That's S-O-V-C-A-S-T dot tumblr dot com. And look for the donate button. It's right there at the top. I'll, I'll just wait here while you go do that, okay? Hello? Blitzkrieg by Audio Machine. Welcome to Sovcast. I am your host, Jeff, and I am a Sov, or Seeker of Veritas. Veritas meaning truth. This time in wait, what? There's good news? Abstinence against the law. Don't get too excited, horny teenagers. By Jove, turning Theo into Mytho. Viva el Pomones. When all you have is a hammer, you don't need more hammers. Science. It's fucking awesome. Call it a victory. I call it a good start. And burn, baby burn, again. Then in hard-thrusting news, Obama Veritas, life, liberty, and we always forget about that last one. And yes, but were they wearing yellow ribbons? Then an elementary graduate, don't talk with your mouth full, a glutton for punishment, and reverend of the resurrection. But first, wait, what? There's good news? Abstinence against the law. Don't get too excited, horny teenagers. A judge has ruled that abstinence-only programs are in violation of California law and promote medically inaccurate information. Abstinence-only programs don't qualify as sex education and are in violation of California law, a Fresno County Superior Court judge has ruled. In his groundbreaking decision, Judge Donald Black said, Access to medically and socially appropriate sexual education is an important public right, and that one district in particular was out of compliance for promoting medically inaccurate information. This is the first time that abstinence-only-until-marriage curricula has been found to be medically inaccurate, said Felita Berlingame, Reproductive Justice Policy Director for the American Civil Liberties Union. In a statement, she added, This ruling is a huge victory for students. And I'd like to add that this is a huge victory for logic. The district's health classes also presented videos that likened a sexually experienced woman to a dirty shoe. That's fucking loathsome. Uh, the only way you could compare a woman to a shoe is that you should wear a sock before putting yourself inside, or you might get blisters. At issue was the Clovis Unified School District's curriculum, which some parents charged was promoting celibacy before marriage without mentioning contraceptives. In some cases, it went as far as calling some birth controls ineffective. Sure, but when it comes to a percentage game, contraceptives have a better success rate than celibacy. Just ask altar boys. The district health classes also presented videos that promoted sexual orientation bias with a one-man, one-woman, one-life mantra. Om. Well, they probably figured that young men should wait as long as possible to hear about threesomes. You don't want too much time to build up that dream before it gets crushed. Oh, and to them, gay sex is icky. And as for lesbians, well, that course is usually learned in college. In 2011, an ACLU report revealed that, despite California's law, many schools weren't teaching accurate information. Over a quarter of the school districts weren't providing required materials on HIV and AIDS prevention. And 16% taught that condoms weren't an effective way to prevent pregnancy and sexually transmitted infections. By Jove, turning Theo into Mytho. With every passing year, the share of the population that identifies as Christians inches down ever so slightly, and the share of population that identifies as atheists or agnostic goes up very slightly as well. Now, over enough years, that change can be quite dramatic. Even though some politicians claim America is a Christian nation, the share of the population that identifies as Christian has declined significantly in recent years. New statistics from the Pew Research Pew Pew Center shows that between 2007 and 2014, the number of Americans who identify as Christian dropped by nearly 8 percentage points from 78.4% to 70.6%. 
At the same time, Pew's 2014 U.S. Religion Landscape Study found that the number of people who are religiously unaffiliated, either atheist, agnostic, or simply nothing in particular, which some people call nuns, has grown by more than six percentage points from 16.1% in 2007 to 22.8% in 2014. On the religious front, another poll very provocative. According to a Pew Research study of more than 35,000 American adults, Christianity's on the decline. So what's happening? There's no question that people of faith are being marginalized by a secular media and pernicious entertainment. The rap industry, for example, often glorifies depraved behavior, and that sinks into the minds of some young people, the group that is most likely to reject religion. Also, many movies and TV shows promote non-traditional values. Truth is, if you are a person of faith, the media generally thinks you are a loon. No, Bill, it's not the music, movies, or culture of the young that's the problem. Every culture of old people has accused the young and its culture of being the downfall of society. For example, from the 1816 issue of the London Times, <clears throat> put on my best British, or worst, depending on your, you know, your impression of it, the indecent foreign dance called the waltz was introduced at an English court on Friday last it is quite sufficient to cast one's eyes on the voluptuous intertwining of the limbs and close compression of the bodies, to see that it is far indeed removed from the modest reserve which has hitherto been considered distinctive of English females, now that it is forced on the respectable classes of society by the evil example of their superiors, we feel it is a duty to warn every parent against exposing his daughter to so fatal a contagion. Remember, they're talking about a dance called The Waltz. So sexy. In the 1790 book Memoirs of the Bloomsgrove Family, Reverend Enos Hitchcock wrote, The free access which many young people have to romance novels and plays has poisoned the minds and corrupted the morals of many a promising youth. This is from the July 1859 issue Scientific America, in which they railed against a wicked game that made both the mind and the body weaker. That game? No, not Grand Theft Auto. Chess. That's right. A game, a wicked game, that makes both the mind and body weaker. Chess. In Book 3 of Otis, circa 20 B.C., Horace wrote, Our sire's age was worse than our grandsires. We, their sons, are more worthless than they. So in our turn we shall give the world a progeny yet more corrupt. And it was either Socrates or Plato that said, or was purported to say, the children now love luxury. They have bad manners, contempt for authority. They show disrespect for elders and love chatter in place of exercise. Children are now tyrants, not the servants of their households. They no longer rise when elders enter the room. They contradict their parents, chatter before company, gobble up dainties at the table, cross their legs, and tyrannize their teachers. The old blaming the young for the current state of the world that they themselves stewarded to this point is a very, very ancient tool the old used to shift responsibility for paying to fix the world they crafted to the young. Blaming the young is also a good distraction. Um, what were we talking about? Um, religion. Right, right. What's that, Rush? The last eight years have not been static. They have been dynamic. There have been a lot of things happening in uh, various denominations around the country that might explain this drop. Uh, the Methodists, the Lutherans, the Presbyterians... The Episcopalians, the uh, American version of the Church of England, have had dramatic changes in their structure and their organization. Uh, many of these churches within these denominations now perform homosexual marriage. They ordain gay pastors and ministers, and in some cases, female and lesbian pastors and ministers, which you might think would cause some people to leave those churches if they disagreed with the decisions made. But even with this drop, 70% of the country still identify as Christians. And yet, it's back to the question I raised the other day. How is it possible that less than one million 
gay activists are able to bully and steamroll an entire country on the subject of marriage. By the same token, how is it that 70% of the population can be bullied and silenced and coerced into accepting societal evolution with which they disagree because of their religious beliefs. It's not just the Republican Party caping, folks. It's not just the Republican Party not engaging in pushback. There's a whole lot of groups that make up the majority in this country one way or the other who are not pushing back. No, no one's being silenced. More and more homosexuals are refusing to hide and be ashamed. They're not being silenced. Homosexuals are talking and people are choosing to listen. So forget about all the other scapegoats that these people have come up with. The real downfall of religion is access to knowledge. Thanks to the internet, the entirety of human knowledge is available to anyone with a smartphone or a computer, and knowledge is the death of superstition. To quote Justice Louis D. Brandes, sunlight is said to be the best disinfectant. Mythologies come and go, and to quote Richard Dawkins, we are all atheists about most of the gods that humanity has ever believed in. Some of us just go one god further. Untis, 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 by I call our next story Viva el Pulmones. When New York Governor Andrew Cuomo headed to Havana on a historic trade mission in April, he returned with the promise of an important commodity, a Cuban-developed lung cancer vaccine. The vaccine, called Simavax, has been researched in Cuba for 25 years and became available for free, for free, to the Cuban public in 2011. How are they supposed to make any money if they're giving shit away for free? Oh, wait. Lives are more important to some. The country's Center for Molecular Immunology signed an agreement last month with Roswell Park Cancer Institute in Buffalo, New York, to import Simovax and begin clinical trials in the United States. We're still at the very early stages of assessing the promise of this vaccine, but the evidence so far from clinical trials in Cuba and Europe has been striking, said Dr. Kevin Lee Jacobs, family chair in immunology and co-leader of the Tumor Immunology and Immunotherapy Program at Roswell Park. When President Obama loosened the United States' 55-year-long trade embargo against the island nation in December, he allowed for such joint research deals to be finalized. Similar programs might have been impossible just a few years ago, and probably still would be impossible if a warmongering Republican was still in office. Instead, we just have a warmongering Democrat, which I suppose is a touch better. So far, 5,000 patients worldwide have been treated with Simovax, including 1,000 patients in Cuba. Lee said that the latest Cuban study of 405 patients, which has not yet been published, confirms earlier findings about the safety and efficiency of the vaccine. What's more, the shot is cheap. It costs the Cuban government just $1. That would be, I'm going to translate that, that would be $400 a shot in America, probably. And studies have found that there are no significant side effects. Well, see, they're just missing out on treating the side effects now. These people are never going to make any money. We think it might be an effective way to prevent cancer from developing or reoccurring. So that's where a lot of our team's excitement comes in, said Lee. There's good reason to believe that the vaccine may be effective in both treating and preventing several types of cancer, including not only lung, but breast, colorectal, head and neck, prostate, and ovarian cancers. So the potential positive impact of this approach could be enormous. To be clear, the Simovax doesn't cure cancer. It's a therapeutic vaccine that works by targeting the tumor itself, specifically going after the proteins that allow a tumor to keep growing. You may be asking yourself, how does this tiny island nation with limited economic resources pioneer a powerhouse cancer vaccine? Despite decades of economic problems and the U.S. trade embargo, Cuba has been a model of public health. According to the New York Times, life expectancy for Cubans is 79 years, on par with the United States, despite the fact that its economy per person is eight times smaller. While many drugs and even anesthesia have been hard to come by over the years, Cuba has one of the best doctor-to-patient ratios in the world. 
Moreover, the Cuban government's investment in primary care for residents and preventative health measures like public education, housing, and nutrition have paid huge dividends in the health of citizens. But once again, how do they expect to make any money? Nothing's more important than making money. Nine Inch Nails and like Our next story, when all you have is a hammer, you don't need any more hammers. On Monday, President Obama banned the federal provision to make available some types of military-style equipment to local police departments and sharply restrict the availability of others. The ban is part of President Obama's push to ease tensions between law enforcement and minority communities in reaction to the crisis in Baltimore, Ferguson, and other cities. Yes, because our police should not look like jack-booted thugs. He took the action after a task force he created in January decided that police departments should be barred from using federal funds to acquire items that include tracked armored vehicles, the highest caliber firearms and ammunition, camouflage uniforms, bayonets, and other military-style weapons. The ban is part of a series of steps the president has made to try to build trust between law enforcement organizations and the citizens they are charged with oppressing, I mean, protecting system of a down deer dance. Our next story, science. It's fucking awesome. Andrew Pulsifer of Phoenix shared a photo on Facebook Sunday. The photo has gained a lot of attention. Pulsifer, who is HIV positive, is shown in the picture with his wife and three children who are HIV negative. Since it was posted, the photo has gotten over 80,000 shares. The 33-year-old has been HIV positive since birth after the disease was passed on from his parents, who died of AIDS complications when he was still a child. Pulsifer says he had a normal upbringing being raised by his aunt and uncle. Though only a few people outside his family knew about his condition, once, once he finished high school, he realized that he eventually wanted to have a family. He ended up meeting his wife, Victoria, and after they dated for a while, he broke the news about being HIV positive. And it turns out, she was fine with it. She said, I kind of just assumed I would get it too, and that was okay with me, because I love him and I want to be with him. They have now been married for close to 10 years and have three children through fertility treatments. And like, like I stated further, she is still HIV negative. Pulsifer wrote that his virus is currently undetectable. The phrase relates to the amount of virus detectable in the blood, although it still can be hidden in other parts of the body. It also means the medicine he takes every day is working. So, like I said, science is fucking awesome. But we're not done yet. So you may be asking yourself, how the fuck is this possible? Sperm washing. That's right. You heard me. Sperm washing. The procedure of sperm washing involves the man giving a semen sample to a clinic. A special machine then spins the sample to separate sperm cells from the seminal fluid. Only the seminal fluid contains HIV. Sperm cells themselves do not carry HIV. The washed sperm is then tested for HIV, just in case. Finally, a catheter is used to inject the sperm into the woman's uterus. In vitro fertilization may also be used, especially if the man has a low sperm count. There have been no cases of HIV transmission to women from sperm washing. There have also been no cases of heterosexual HIV transmissions from not using condoms when the viral load is undetected. I did not know that. Still, wear your condoms. It's better to be safe than really, really sorry. So like I said, science is fucking awesome. Imagine what scientific and medical breakthroughs scientists could have accomplished with the six trillion. Six trillion we spent killing people in Iraq and Afghanistan. Let's hope someday we learn our lesson before we decide on where to send our troops next. Science! She wanted Google Science by Thomas Science! Next story. Call it a victory? I call it a good start. 
Los Angeles, the nation's second largest city, voted Tuesday to increase its minimum wage from $9 an hour to $15 an hour by 2020. I would, you know, just do it. Quickly, people need the money, but oh well. The increase, which the city council passed in a 14 to 1 vote, comes as workers across the country are rallying for higher wages, and several large companies, including Facebook and Walmart, have moved to raise their lowest wages. Several other cities, including San Francisco, Chicago, Seattle, and Oakland, California, have already approved increases, and dozens more are considering doing the same. In 2014, a number of Republican-leaning states like Alaska and South Dakota also raised their state-level minimum wage by ballot initiative. The group pressing for higher minimum wages said that the Los Angeles vote could set off a wave of increases across Southern California, and that higher pay scales would improve the way of life for the region's vast, lower-wage workforce. Many cities have enacted or proposed legislation in recent years to create a local minimum wage that is higher than the federal minimum wage and their state's minimum wage, if there even is one. So if you're making shit pay and have the willingness or ability to move, here are a few choices. Seattle, $15 an hour. Oakland, California, $15 an hour. Chicago, $13 an hour. San Francisco, $15 an hour. Los Angeles, $15 an hour. San Diego, $11.50 an hour. Santa Fe, New Mexico, $10.84 an hour. And if you already live pretty close, because it's not that significant in my opinion, Albuquerque, New Mexico, $8.75 per hour. But opponents of higher minimum wages, including small business owners and the Los Angeles Chamber of Commerce, say the increase approved Tuesday could turn Los Angeles into a wage island, pushing businesses to nearby places where they can pay employees less. Okay, this is an opportunity to study whether or not this actually happens. If it does happen, I'm sure all these kind-hearted business owners will immediately push for the national wage to increase. And when it doesn't happen, they can go fuck themselves. Either way, the national minimum wage should be increased. They are asking businesses to foot the bill on a social experiment that they would never do on their own employees, said Stuart Waldman, the president of the Valley Industry and Commerce Association, a trade group that represents companies and other organizations in Southern California. A lot of businesses aren't going to make it, he added. Well, if that's the holy free market's will, then so be it. The market giveth, and the market taketh away. If your business's heart was on the brink, don't blame the feather that tips the scales. And in our last, wait, what, there's good news story? Burn, baby, burn. Again. Bernie Sanders is doing it again. Everybody in this country, regardless of their income, if they have the ability, they're going to get a college education. And today I just introduced legislation that would make public college, public colleges and universities tuition free. Where's the money going to come from? A tax on Wall Street speculation. And that's exactly where it should come Talk from. about that. What does that mean, a tax on Wall Street speculation? What it means is right now uh, you have people who are becoming phenomenally wealthy by speculating in derivatives and every other type of esoteric instrument that they can. Uh, people are getting very rich on Wall Street. What we're going to impose is what exists in dozens of countries around the world, a very modest tax on the transference of large amounts of stock. What does that mean, a very modest? Is that going to pay for tuition-free education? More than that. This is a very effective and progressive way to raise money. The estimate is it could bring in as much as $300 billion a year. You think Republicans are going to go along with this? No, of course they're not. Well, then if they're, if they're not going to go along with it, it's not going to become the law. No. Right? Well, I don't think it's going to be passed tomorrow. But I think what we have to do, is the American people will go along with it. The American people think it's absurd that our young people are leaving school deeply, deeply in debt, and young people can't afford to go to college. I believe we got to join Germany, Scandinavia, many other countries around the world and say, if you have the ability, regardless of your income, you're going to be able to go to college tuition free. So you want to raise taxes? On the very wealthiest people in this country? Absolutely. Burn, baby, burn by the tramps. Solvecast is brought to you by Focus Fitness. If you're in the Clearwater, Florida area and you need a massage or a fun workout, think Focus Fitness. Go to focusjfitness.tumblr.com. They offer in-home sports, medical, and relaxation massage and aerobic focus mitt kickboxing. Remember, that's focus, the letter J, fitness.tumblr.com. Now it's time for hard-thrusting news. 
Why do I call it hard thrusting news? Because it's hard to find a news story where someone isn't getting fucked. You get up and howl about America and democracy. Well, a very, very heavy, uh, heavy divertation. It's hard to talk on your TV again. Fucking Bill O'Reilly sucks. Tonight's forecast, dark. Continued dark tonight, turning to partly light in the morning. I'm Ron Burgundy. Go fuck yourselves. Hey, what's happening, man? 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 Obama Veritas. Now that Obama doesn't have to worry about his own re-election anymore, a little truth was bound to slip out. And over the last 40 years, sadly, I think there's been uh, an effort to either make folks mad at folks at the top or to make mad, uh, be mad at folks at the bottom. Uh, and I think the effort to suggest that the poor are sponges, leeches, are don't want to work, are lazy, you know, uh, are undeserving. You know, if, if you watch Fox News on a regular basis, it is a constant menu. They will find, like, folks who make me mad. I don't know where they find them, right? And they're all like, I don't want to work. I, I just want a free Obama phone or whatever. And, and that becomes an entire narrative. Right? That, that gets worked up. Uh, and and you, very rarely do you hear an interview of a waitress, which is much more typical, who's raising a couple of kids and is doing everything right, but still can't pay the bills. Fox host Stuart Varney couldn't let that go without a response, even though he probably should have. Look, in my opinion, the president is spinning his own policy failures. As the middle class shrinks and the poor are trapped in this system, so to speak, the president blames us, the honest messengers. Just look at food stamps and Obamacare, uh, Obama phones for a moment. This is what he picked out. Right. We're not saying that the recipients of food stamps are bad people or that they're lazy. Our story is, why is it that after six years of recovery, 12 million more people are still on food stamps, 45, 46 million people after six years of recovery? Why is that? Ah, because 95% of income gains since 2009 went to the top 1%, partially because the average income tax is 28%, while the tax rate on most net capital gains is no higher than 15%. Net capital gains being earnings from investments. He wants to say, it's us, it's the messengers. We are demonizing the poor. I don't think we are. Yeah. Oh, really, Mr. Stuart Varney? Well, that would be a shock to Fox News anchor Stuart Varney. When you think of poverty, you picture this. But what if I told you it really looks like this? A new report showing poor families in the United States are not what they used to be. Now, many poor families have homes with cable TV, cell phones, computers, you name it, much, much more. Studies of existing numbers from two universities show that the very wealthiest, income for the very wealthiest, is down more than for any other group. And that very wealthy group, the top 1%, they've not recovered. I'm just going to give our viewers a quick run-through of what items poor families in America have. 99% of them have a refrigerator. 81% have a microwave. 78% have air conditioning. 63% have cable TV. The top 1%, their income during and after the crash went down 20%. The bottom 90%, their income went down 13%. So the rich took it on the chin, but government programs did help raise the lower and middle classes a little bit. That's why they didn't suffer quite as much as that top 1%. No, actually what you see is that the living standards of the poor have increased rather steadily for the last 30 years, and in fact the, the poverty report has not accurately reflected their living conditions really for several decades. And if you want to look at the very, very wealthiest people, the top one ten-thousandth of one percent, their income went from 39 million in 07 to 29 million in 2013. Oh, I... Yes, because if you can say, we're here to redistribute from the rich to you, it turns out that the rich have suffered more than you. The image we have of poor people as starving and living in squalor really is not accurate. Many of them have things. What they lack is the richness of spirit. That's my opinion. See, I told you you probably should have let it go. Um, Stuart, you do know those box things with the glass eyes? They record everything you say. You know that, right? Guess not. 
my guru by Gandhi Automator and DJ Shadow. Our next story is called Life, Liberty, and we always forget about that last one. London Kiki Chanel, a 21-year-old transgender woman, was stabbed to death in North Philadelphia early on Monday. Raheem Felton, 31 years old, confessed to the murder and is in custody, said Cameron Klein, a spokesperson for the Philadelphia District Attorney's Office. Felton, who allegedly stabbed Chanel multiple times, is charged with possession of an instrument of crime and murder. He is scheduled for a preliminary hearing on June 3rd, but does not yet have a lawyer. Authorities have not released charging documents or many details about the homicide, nor have they alleged a motive for the killing. Chanel is the eighth transgendered woman of color confirmed killed in the United States this year, a trend that anti-violence advocates have called an epidemic. And as in many of the cases, Chanel was misgendered in early reports, which means to add insult to deadly injury, the news referred to her as a him. Now, I'm going to be candid with you for a moment about my feelings on LGBT understanding. The L. Lesbians. Being a straight male, I can definitely understand that. The G. Gay. It's a little harder because I'm not anywhere on the spectrum. But being a rational, empathetic human being, I can get to an understanding. The B. Bisexuals. A little easier to understand because, hey, they still get to have sex with women. And it's a hell of a lot easier to have children if you want. The T. Now, transsexuals, I don't understand in the slightest, but here's where empathy and intellect come into play. I am no way required to understand. I am required to accept that which I don't understand, because it has nothing to do with me, and it makes someone else happy. And somebody minding their own business and being happy is a good thing. People finally being happy with who they are is an amazing, wonderful thing. And the fact that just because some people don't like anything they don't understand means that some innocent people die is beyond despicable. The next time you're freaked out and mad about someone making choices that you don't understand, just remember the words life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness and go about your fucking day. Maybe someday you'll understand. to our next story, yes, but were they wearing yellow ribbons? Newly released video has revealed the dying moments of an African-American active duty soldier who checked himself into an El Paso, Texas County jail and died while in custody nearly three years ago. Sergeant James Brown reported to jail for a two-day sentence for driving while intoxicated. His family said Brown informed the jail he had a history of post-traumatic stress disorder after two combat tours in Iraq. Local news station KFOX 14 said they fought all the way to the Texas Attorney General to obtain video of the 2012 incident. They really didn't want people to see what was on that video, apparently. Because the video shows something happened which caused Brown to bleed in his cell. When he refused to speak with guards, a team in riot gear storms in and swarms on top of him, while he repeatedly says he can't breathe and appears not to resist. His condition deteriorates as he is carried to an infirmary and has a mask placed over his face because it was more important that the man who is suffocating be further suffocated rather than risk the horror of an officer being spat upon. Behold these courageous officers afraid of a little spittle. And yes, even though it's a horrible story, it is fun to say a little spittle. Toward the end of the video, after Brown has said he can't breathe at least 20 times, he's left naked in a cell. Why naked? Why not? Maybe the officers have heard that humility was good for you, but wanted someone else to try it before they ever, ever thought of trying it themselves. But anyways, the brave, probably yellow ribbon-touting officers left Brown as he lay there, nude, not blinking or responding, his breathing very shallow. Attorneys say an ambulance was never called. Eventually, once they realized they'd done fucked up and they were afraid for their own asses, Brown was brought to the hospital where he was pronounced dead. Authorities claim he died from natural causes because 
everything you can be beaten with is natural, after all. I mean, he wasn't killed by a ghost cop or a lycanthropic death sergeant. An autopsy report cited a sickle cell crisis, but his family says he died as a result of his treatment in jail. Here's the facts, folks. If you're in jail for any reason and you have a medical emergency, whether or not the officers caused or don't cause your medical condition to reach an acute state, they can't just leave you to die. It doesn't matter if they beat him or offered him tea and crumpets. They were, at the time, wholly responsible for Brown's well-being, and they let him die. These officers should not only get fired, I'd like to see them spend some time on the claustrophobic side of the bars. Their attorney, B.J. Crow, spoke to KFOX. B.J. Crow said, When a 26-year-old active military person checks into a jail for a court-imposed sentence on a Friday and leaves Sunday in a casket, you know something went horribly wrong there. He was bleeding out the ears, the nose, and his mouth. His kidneys shut down, his blood pressure dropped to a very dangerous level, and his liver shut down. James Brown's family has filed a lawsuit against El Paso County saying his constitutional rights were violated. Hey! The Payback by James Brown. Got the payback! Now it's time for a segment I call Alimentary Graduate. The joke here is, if you came out of the Alimentary Canal, it means you're a piece of shit. You know, you really are an asshole. Why don't you just shut up and sing this song, pal? Come on, asshole! By Dennis Leary. first story, don't talk with your mouth full. My first piece of shit is Maryland Republican Patrick McDonough. He wants to strip food stamps from poor people who protest, even though it's their right. Piece of shit. And what would surely be a violation of the First Amendment rights to assemble, a Maryland Republican wants to strip poor people of their food stamps if they participate in protests. In response to the riots in Baltimore, state GOP... I could have never guessed he was a Republican. Delegate Patrick McDonough went on the radio to discuss an ongoing protest over the death of Freddie Gray at the hands of the police. During the experience, a caller asked McDonough on air why the government doesn't just take benefits away from families, from like the parents who are collecting welfare, if one of the protesters is a family member who is deemed too young to participate. In other words, he suggested revoking food stamps from parents of Baltimore youth who join in protests while also seemingly assuming that most black people are on food stamps. Most people who are on food stamps are white. The Republican lawmaker, of course, thought this was a great idea. That's an idea that could be legislation. I think if you could make the case that there is a failure to do proper parenting and allowing this stuff to happen, is there an opportunity for a month to take away your food stamps? Boy, the modern Republican Party is like he took the Ferengi from Star Trek and the Sith from Star Wars and in mad evil genius fashion had them interbreed to breed out every kind-hearted good thing about humanity until there's nothing left but lust for power and wealth. With all other concerns, be damned. Whoever came up with the slogan, whoever dies with the most toys wins, must have been a fucking Republican. Since you can't take your toys with you, I'd like to postulate that whoever's legacy enriches the most people's lives wins. So a Republican wants to use the protests in Baltimore as an excuse to hammer poor people even more, just because they're exercising their constitutional right to assemble. Not only would this punish poor people, it would be a conservative scheme to punish people they despise from exercising their rights and fighting back against an unfair system. This is just the latest salvo fired by the GOP and their war on the poor. As you may recall, Republicans in Kansas recently passed a bill banning poor people from using swimming pools and going to movie theaters if they are on public assistance. And Missouri Republicans are pushing a bill that would ban poor people from buying steak and seafood. A lot of these Republicans are just pure fucking evil at this point. 
You know they don't really believe this shit. They just want to grind their boot heel in the back of the poor merely to garner favor among semi-intelligent Republican voters who, by the way, for the most part, worship a man who believed that there was no higher calling than helping the poor. Here's a couple of quotes from Jesus. For there will never cease to be poor in the land. Therefore, I command you, you shall open wide your hands to your brother, to the needy, and to the poor in your land. And don't forget that Jesus thought that the rich were almost assuredly going to hell. Remember this one? It's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of heaven. But McDonough wasn't done. He also made sure to add a touch of racism to his vile plan. McDonough actually wants to conduct a study of thug nation, in quotes, by which he means the African-American community, because he wants to know why violence is occurring during their protests. He also managed to paint young black people as dangerous and defunctional in the same breath. Here's his quote. These young people, they're violent, they're brutal, their mindset is dysfunctional to a point of being dangerous, and we have to study, investigate, and really look at what this is all about. What's this all about, Mr. McDonough? Well, it's about, you can only push a person so far before they stumble. If economic policies take away your job, take away your hope for prosperity, if education policies defund your schools so there's very little hope of you ever escaping your lot in life. When you're even too poor to move in search of greener pastures, and where whole swaths of cities have been turned into sick versions of open-air prisons, where the innocent are presumed guilty, where the 1%, in collusion chiefly with the GOP, and to a lesser extent all political persuasions, have tainted and tarnished this country and the world to their enrichment. You can only push a person so far before they stumble, and they must rise up and make their voices heard. If assholes like this want to stop protests and riots, the best way is to eliminate the policies and practices that make them a necessity. Instead, politicians like this spend their time playing political game games while people suffer and die. Our next story, a glutton for punishment. Here's a good example of why many of the rich and powerful are incapable of understanding the plight of the poor. To the elite, being forced to live the life of not just a poor person, not just a middle class person, but even the life of an upper middle class person would be by comparison akin to dropping one of us off in Somalia. Chris Christie spent 360000 from the state's allowance during his five years in office. More than 80% of that money, or 300000 was used to buy food, alcohol, and desserts. In addition to his $175,000 a year salary, the governor receives 95000 a year in expense advances. Christie's most notable spending spree occurred during the 2010 and 2011 NFL football seasons. New Jersey's governors traditionally enjoy free use of luxury boxes for games and other events at the government-owned venue, but food and beverages cost extra. On only 58 occasions, Christie used his debit card to pay a total of $82,594 for food and beverages. That's $1,424,000 per event. Meanwhile, Christie found other ways to enjoy his allowance. The governor used it to buy $102,495 worth of groceries and alcoholic beverages from retail stores. Christie did most of his serious food shopping at Wegmans Food Markets, where he spent $76,373 during only 53 shopping runs. That's $1,441 per trip. He also shopped at ShopRite Supermarkets 51 times for $11,971 in purchases. That's $234.72 per trip. That's fairly reasonable if it's his shopping for his entire family for the entire week, but I doubt it. Plus, he spent another $6,536 in only seven visits to ShopRite's liquor stores. That's $234.72 of alcohol per trip. Can you say drinking problem? Fat by Weird Al Yankovic. Our next story is The Reverend of the Resurrection. 
Until 2 p.m. on Monday, the Our Church staff section of St. John's Lutheran Church and Schools website described Reverend Matthew Michaela as an associate pastor who enjoys family, music, home improvement, gardening, landscaping, and sports. Queerty, a gay news site, obtained from an anonymous source some of the Reverend's other favorite pastimes, namely nude makeout sessions and sex with other men. Of course, how someone behaves between the sheets is really nobody's business but our own, except when he's actively doing damage to others. We've seen it time and time again, the lawmaker who spends his days fighting against gay rights and his nights cruising for gay sex, or the ex-gay activist who isn't quite as ex-gay as he'd like everyone to believe. Which brings us back to Michaela. The married father of five from Midland, Michigan, doesn't just preach Jesus, love, and help with bake sales. He also uses his position of authority and respect in his community to broadcast his self-loathing view on same-sex attraction. A simple Google search revealed his sentiment. Michaela commented in a chat room, I love people who have same-sex attraction, and so does God. The proof is in the sacrifice he made for all of us who sin. We don't tell a person born with tendencies to abuse alcohol to keep on giving in to his innate desire because he can't help it. We try to help him in his struggle. Two months before propagating the ridiculous, not to mention dangerous notion that homosexuality is akin to alcoholism, Michaela offered his cultural prescription via Facebook. And I quote, Read these words this morning. Long before gay marriage was part of our national discussion, Natural marriage did not always reflect God's will of love and submission. Divorce became common. Love and marriage grew cold, and children were not always seen as a blessing. Changing the culture begins with changing our own culture of marriage and family. Taking the marriage union with the utmost seriousness and welcoming children into our churches. Amen. You know, it's the part about submission. He's talking to you ladies. So he's sexist too. Isn't that wonderful? Yet, while Michaela urged his community to seek deeper meaning in their marriage commitments, here's a taste of what's going on behind the locked screen of his smartphone. Michaela, I have a girlfriend, so don't usually do evenings or overnights. He actually has a wife. The other guy, fair enough. Any kids? Michaela, I have two. The other guy, nice. Have you ever been with a guy? Michaela asks. Other guy, I have. Michaela, okay, cool. I love making out naked, oral and massage. And I top. Also love to cuddle. Do you mean sleepover? Okay. But I get to be on top. In an email exchange with QWERTY, Michaela confirmed the authenticity of the screen captures but declined to comment. He also told QWERTY that he had resigned from his position at the church after the story surfaced and that his wife and senior pastor had been made aware of his extracurricular activities. But his community also deserves to know if Michaela made even one LGBT kid at St. John's Christ Church Elementary School, their parents, friends, family, or anyone who ever stepped foot in the church feel like being true to yourself is shameful. And it seems all too likely that he did. Wait for it. If so, then we're glad to share his hypocrisy with the world. Midland, Michigan made headlines in March when a local Planet Fitness came to the defense of a transgendered woman utilizing the gym's female facilities. Here's how Michaela framed the conversation to his followers. And I quote, The transgender movement is going to assist opportunistic sickos in preying upon children and others. How can business owners and the authorities prove who is a man who identifies as a woman versus a man who wants to prey upon girls and women in their restroom or locker rooms? How's that for Christ-like? And here's an update I found. Have a listen. Deep down, I think I knew what he was saying was wrong, but it was just hard being a kid and an adult telling you that. A nervous Tyler Kish flushes with emotion when he thinks back to the day he went to his pastor at Midland St. John's Church to tell him he was gay. Tyler says his pastor, Matthew Makala, told him the sin of being gay is no different than the sin of committing suicide. If he was going to go to hell for being gay, then he might as well go to hell by committing suicide. Outraged, his mom, Jennifer Kish, says she couldn't believe the man they turned to for guidance would do that to her child. What does that do to, as a mom for you to hear that? Breaks my heart and then... <laughs> what I took away from it was that I needed to repent and hold on to the hope that um, God could change me. Tyler felt worthless and was in fact contemplating suicide. Jennifer was so angry she confronted Pastor Makala. He wasn't understanding and it was a right or wrong thing for him and he really didn't care how it affected Tyler. And now Pastor Makala has set off a firestorm of alleged hypocrisy on the internet. 
picture surfacing of a shirtless Makala obtained by the website Queerty. They claim to be from a conversation on the gay app Grinder of Makala soliciting sex with another man. The website claims Makala confirmed to them that he was indeed the one on the Grinder app, and so what followed? A resignation from his role at the church and a statement today on St. John's website for its members. It reads, It's aware Matt's sin is out there for everyone to see, and it wants to remind people this was never about the details of the sin. It then goes on to say, We are hurting, but the God who is faithful will not forsake us. But for Tyler, he can't help but feel his pastor turned his back on him. I honestly feel very bad for him. Um, you know, because looking at it, everything he told me in a way he was kind of telling himself to, and I think that he was really kind of self-destructing, it seems like, um, and hurting people around him. A hurt that could have changed this family's lives forever. But Tyler says love conquers all, and he has found it in his heart to forgive the person he once blamed for his darkest days. I think that, you know, I wish him happiness, but only as his truest self, so. Tyler says he felt he needed to give a voice to anyone who may have or is going through something like this. He fears there are others out there who don't have the same love and support. Live in the studio, David Custer, WNEM TV5. Amazing how the supposed sinner is more Christ-like than the reverend, um, I mean, former reverend, is. Altar Boy by Stephen Lynch. Your sins to me, you will find the grace of God inside my rectory. And that's it for our show today, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you for joining me. Hopefully, we'll do it again together real soon. In the meantime, I am Jeff, I am a seeker of Veritas. Check out my Tumblr page at sovcast.tumblr.com that's s-o-v-c-a-s-t dot tumblr dot com thank you you are like Devin Marston